Well, welcome to chapter 12 of Acts. So you have your Bibles? This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true and it's all that I need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege, the opportunity of going into your word right now. Lord, may our hearts be ready to receive. May our ears be open to your spirit. Lord, every one of us is different. Everybody's going through something in their lives that only maybe you know, but you can take this one chapter and minister right to our heart and our needs. So we hand ourselves over to you, Lord Jesus, and we give you full reign, and we pray it in your name. Amen. Well, we left last week with with Peter. Um, he, we've kind of had Paul um, put up, put away for a couple weeks as he is getting trained and he's as he's waiting for the Lord at just the right time. But um, we will we see that that um, that Barnabas is going to uh, get him and he's going to use Saul and. It is so wonderful to be able to watch God's hand change these men. And we've seen him change um, so many lives. And I pray that you are watching him change yours as well. And so today, um, with Peter, we see one more step of how the Lord is changing Peter. And, and last week, we saw how he was so calm when Jerusalem church kind of came against him about, about um, eating with the Gentiles and and uh, he just he just quietly and precisely and in very um very calmly explained what had transpired and what was so beautiful is that is that when he was finished when he said things like, I remember Jesus saying that John will baptize with water, but you will baptize, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he said, that's what happened. That's what's happening. And then he went on and said, and if, if God gave them the gift, well, then who am I to oppose God? Who am I to say that Gentiles cannot come into the family? Who am I to do that? And then, of course, they, they, they're going to help and say no objections, and they praise the Lord, too. Well, then we talked about different phrases, and I hope that you've been thinking about them, about when the Lord's hand, when the Lord's hand is on you, that's what we want. We want, we want to be in tune with God's spirit. We want to be following his direction. We really want a desire to do what God wants. That's when the Lord's hand is on us. And what a difference when his hand is on us or when he removes his hand because we are not listening or obedient. Another phrase we saw was, was Barnabas when he was called to Antioch. And he saw that the people were believing and that it was real in their life and it was making a difference. And so 
um, Luke writes these words, it was evident. He could see the evidence of God's grace in their life. So when you have God's undeserved favor working through you, you can't help but, but have it change you as you then release that grace and you live it in, into your world around you. And then we saw how it was here in Antioch that the people were called Christians for the first time. And then we saw the prophet Agabus um, prophesy about a famine that was coming. And the people just, again, when your heart is right, when you're following the Spirit, you will, you will find that the Lord will show you according to your ability, according to your talents or gifts, or according to your faith, you will want to be used to help others and to share and to, well, it's like a family. When one hurts, the other one hurts. And when one, when one sees a need, the other one will help with that need. I mean, it's just the way a family works. So now we move into this chapter, and you can see how the church is progressing. And along with such great news, there's always, there's always some, some tough news. I mean, that's life, isn't it? I mean, you almost are afraid when things are going too good. You think, oh, what's around the corner? Because you've learned, you've lived so much of life that you know that, that, you know, believe it or not, we can have everyday glorious. As much as we would love it, we can't have it that way because then we would get complacent. We wouldn't be clinging to the Lord. We wouldn't need him. And so the Lord knows just how, how and when. And now we are in the chapter where it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. So King Herod is arresting some of the Christians and he intending, he, he arrested them intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So here we are, we are sensing the first martyr of the apostles of the twelve, the first barter. And and we were we have to make sure we know the difference because we're gonna see the name James twice in this chapter. So here, this James is the brother of John, the one we have um, we've gotten to know so much through the the gospels. So John and James, they were the first couple, the first two, they were two first fishermen that Jesus picked, and he is the first martyr. Well, when he saw, when Herod saw, this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And really, you know, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but Peter was kind of the headpin. He was kind of the one who was in charge, the leader. And, and so when Herod saw that, oh, the people were thrilled that James was put to death. And so he then thought, well, if they're that excited about me getting James, well, then I'm going to get Peter. And then after the Passover, I will then 
what well, doesn't say, but you can almost sense I will do the same to him. Now, what, dis what disturbed me was that when, when the people saw, when he, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, this, this to me is a, an awakening again, a reminder that look at their hearts. It pleased them that John was killed, that James was killed by the sword, that Peter was going to be arrested. It pleased them, their fellow Jews. There's, this is what we've been talking about. You can have religion all you want in your head. But if you do not have the one who can change your heart, then it's it's all it's all it's still all self. It's still all about you. If you don't have Jesus, the one who, well, he's our savior. He's our, and then his spirit lives within us. If we do not have that relationship. All this religion, as smart, as educated as you are, because to me, look at their look at their heart here. Fellow Jews were thrilled with the death of James and the arrest of Peter. Well, this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Passover. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to the guarded, and handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So he was going to make sure that Peter was guarded like crazy. And so you have, from, from my understanding, four squads of four soldiers each. I mean, one man has 16 guards. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was in prison and it was going to be the Passover and he was going to have to wait. And of course, he knew what Herod did to 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 James, so he was pretty much expecting the same. Now, you know, sometimes it's confusing. Uh, who is this King Herod? Well, it's kind of like a title. This King Herod was the grandson of the one that when Jesus was born, told the wise men to go find this, follow the star, and then tell me about this king. And then he puts all the boy babies, two years old and under, to death. Well, it's this Herod's grandpa that did that. And then it was his uncle, it was his uncle that was, was involved in Jesus' trial, had some role in Jesus' trial. So this is the third King Herod in the life of, 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 you know, from Jesus' birth to now. So just a little interest there. But anyway, um, this Herod um, had it all planned. He was going to keep, keep Peter in prison over the Passover, not to rock any boats, you know, as far as all their rituals go. But then as soon as the Passover was over, he would then put him on public trial. 
So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly praying. Now, in King James, it says they were constantly praying to God about Peter. And then, but, but you, I got to stop, and I hope you do too. What does that mean? Because that can cause such confusion. It can cause so much hurt, and it, it can even cause people to walk away from God. Because, and, and it happened even to me this week, because somebody said that if I don't pray earnestly enough or if I don't have enough of something, then that's why God doesn't give me what I want. And I just, I mean, I go over this so many times, I know, but I think we've been so programmed to think that prayer is when we talk to God and tell him how we want him to work things out. And even though we, we are learning that he answers yes, no, or wait, we still think that when he answers prayer, that means we got what we wanted. Now, these people were earnestly, constantly praying. But just to make sure that you know, because we've been through this in the Gospel of John, if you want to turn to um, John chapter, chapter 17, or 15, verse, verse 7. John 15, verse 7. Jesus is saying, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be given you. Now, we talked about that and we have, we have made sure that we're, we know that it, this isn't Santa Claus, this isn't genie. You ask anything you want Remember, you are asking in Jesus' name. You're asking according to what Jesus has, well, whatever his will, whatever. If you remain in me and I remain in you, that means we are connected. Prayer is really a gift that God gave us. Prayer is for us. Because he's God. Prayer is what keeps us connected to him. Prayer is that connection line that we have when his spirit and our spirit are connected. That's what remain in you. And if you remain in me and I remain in you, that's that close connection. And when you have that close connection, then whatever that you ask, I will grant it. But see, if you and I are in a close connection, if we remain in him and he remains in us, we want what he wants because we believe that his will is perfect and he knows exactly what he's doing and why. 
So when we read these verses that Jesus talked about, ask anything in my name, you remain in me and I remain in you. He's talking about you are relinquishing yourself to me. And you trust that my will is the best one. And you don't want any other will. Because you are learning that there is no other will that that can supersede his. He knows what he's doing. And we trust that. So why, when they, when they were earnestly praying to God for, for Peter, I know there isn't a question in my mind that this group of people were constantly connected to God, surrendering Peter, trusting God's will, even though I'm sure it went through their mind, oh, we need Peter. Well, I'm sure they said we needed James we needed Stephen. I mean, sometimes God doesn't make sense to us. But that's where our faith in him, our trust in him needs to kick into gear. And we believe that he is sovereign, he's God, and I'm not. So when I picture that verse that I can picture that group of people earnestly, constantly praying to God for Peter, they were continuously surrendering to God's will. I can almost hear him say, Lord, we love him and he is, he, we are so grateful for Peter, but you have a plan for him and we are trusting you with that. And so, please don't get confused and don't bear that guilt that maybe when things didn't go the way you wanted, it was your fault and you didn't pray hard enough or you didn't get enough people. Or The only reason that we love to get people praying with us is that we're praying in one accord. In that one accord, that, that common denominator in our prayer is your will be done. We trust you. And we know our human nature so well that if we don't stay in that constant connection, we're going to be changing that to say, I want, I want, I want. And you better and you should. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That night, that night before Herod was to bring him to trial, so the night before, when you are pretty sure Peter knows that this public trial is public because then Herod will, will hear all the hoopla about um, how great he is and that, yes, um, kill Peter and, and thank you, Herod, you've done us such a good favor. And, and so Peter knows. And here it is, the night before, the night before this is to transpire, Peter was sleeping. Now, maybe he's a sound sleeper. Maybe he sleeps easily. I don't know. But uh, you think about it. When you know that the next day, you are probably experiencing your last night, and the next day you could be put to death. 
and Peter is sleeping. He, he trusts. He trusts that God knows what he's doing, and he knows God has a perfect timetable. He knows that he's numbered our days. He knows the hair number on our head. Peter has been changed, and the Holy Spirit is working in him and giving him such a calm and an assurance that all is well with his soul, and the rest is totally up to the Lord Jesus. And he's sleeping. He has chosen that attitude. He's chosen that attitude. You, we know Peter's personality. We know the way he used to be. He, he's a hypernelly. And he was, he was always, you know, talking before he, he thought it through. He was always jumping the gun. And I think this is why Luke is really sharing these stories with us about Peter, because maybe Peter's the one that said, oh, I am such living proof of what the Holy Spirit can do. Because I could even, I could even, when, when the Jews, when the Jewish leaders were coming at me and saying, how could you eat with them? I stayed calm. I, I didn't have to be defensive. I just precisely explained to them. And then pretty much said to them, I don't know about you, but if God says it's okay, then it's okay with me. So right away you see the change in his character. And then we see how now the night before his public trial, he's sleeping. He has chosen to trust. His life is not easy. He's, he's ha he has these forces coming against him. And yet he chooses this attitude of trust. It's kind of like what Paul himself, it's like Paul learned it himself in Romans 12, verse 2, because he, he talked about this, and, and he said that, you know, we are to be transformed. Romans 12, 2, in 3, when Paul is saying, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, you have to choose to change your mind's way of thinking. You have to let the spirit who is so much bigger than you, even your personal personality, you can, the spirit wants to take over that and transform maybe your worrisome mind, your fearsome mind, your panic mind. Maybe your mind goes in all kinds of directions and you get yourself all worked up. And, and Paul learned, he said, don't go there. You have a choice. You can choose to be transformed by a new way of thinking. Then, when you then have that change of attitude, when you have that change in, of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, his pleasing, 
and perfect will. See, you're not going to trust that God's will, especially when it doesn't go your way. It's impossible to approve of his will when it's not yours, unless you've asked the spirit to transform your mind, renew your mind, and give you a godly attitude. So he... I couldn't help it. I really couldn't. I couldn't help but think, and, and I don't mean to go aside, you know, get off this subject here, but I looked at Peter and I thought, and knowing him from studying the Gospels, how could he be like this? And then I remembered this verse that Paul wrote in Romans 12 too, but then I remembered something else and I went and found it, and it was something that um, Chuck Swindoll had written years ago. And I, I believe it's worth the time, and I want to read it to you. And he says, he's talking about this very subject, about choosing your attitude when you have so much coming at you. He wrote this, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than fact. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failure, than success. Attitude is more important than what people think, say, or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, skill, Attitude will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. We are in charge of our attitude. And I couldn't help but think when I read that, you know, we fight that control. Oh, we want control. We don't like people telling us what to do and when to do it. And, and we sometimes don't even like God doing that to us. We as human beings, we love control. Now, here's the one thing we do have control of. And a lot of times we don't then. But we have control of our attitude on how we're going to deal with the situation at hand, and it is inevitable. And there's nothing I can do about that, but I can change my attitude. And that's exactly what Peter demonstrated here. 
It's exactly what Paul wrote in Romans 12 to how important it is that, that we don't conform, that we don't fall into the ways and the thinking of our human nature and the ways of this world, but we can be transformed with the Holy Spirit renewing our mind, renewing our attitude, renewing our trust. That night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. There is something, isn't it something about that light Look at that light does. Look at the light when, when Saul was on his way to Damascus and that light knocked him to the ground so he would see Jesus. The light shone in that cell. Oh, when we, when we hear how Jesus is our light, it's like everything changes when we let him light up our life. And we let him light the way even when we don't know where it really is going to lead or if there could possibly be any good in this. But that light will always bring us to the right place. So here's that light that's shown in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists chains fell off. Uh, there's a couple things in these first verses. You're just going to have to go with me on this because I'm telling you my heart, what happened to me when I studied this particular chapter. When I, when I looked at that and the light shone and then I saw and then the chains fell off. When the light of Jesus shines on our heart, the chains fall off us. And I couldn't help but think, and I'm sure you're thinking of this song already. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has rescued me. That light and like a flood, his mercy reigns. Amazing love. Amazing grace. What happens when chains fall off? You're set free. That, 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 whole, that whole concept of being free in Christ. To be set free. We are free from our sins, the heavy weight of lostness. We've been set free so that we can know we have a future, that our, that our sins are gone, that the cross worked, that we've been bought back, we've been redeemed. We're his child. He loves us. And there isn't anything or anyone that can change that. That's being set free. My chains are gone. And another song that came to my mind was, 
I'm free from the fear of tomorrow. I'm free from the guilt of my past. When you think about it, that pretty much takes care of everything, right? I've traded my shackles for this glorious song, this glorious song that reminds me that Jesus has freed me. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. Put on, and, and that registered again, put on your clothes and sandals. And so Peter did. And the angel also told him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Put on. Those were instructions. Peter had to do this himself. You have to choose, Peter, to stand up, put your sandals on, put your clothes on, take your coat and wrap it around you, and then follow me. These were the instructions to Peter. Where else did we, do we hear, put on? You have a responsibility. You put it on, and I couldn't help but think it's Paul himself writing to the people of Ephesians, of Ephesus, to the, to the Ephesian people. He's saying in chapter 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on. This is how we handle life. You have to make some choices. You've got to make some decisions. You have to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles, they're not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace in addition to all this take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests stay connected to Jesus. You and I need to choose to put on Jesus, and that's the only way we are going to be able to stand up against life and its obstacles. Stand up to our own human nature from our own self that wants to pull us in the wrong direction. The angel gave Peter instructions put it on. Put it on Peter, and he did, and it paid off. Peter followed. He followed him out of the prison, and he had, but he had no idea that the that the angel, or what the angel was really doing, and what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. 
Well, he had been through that a couple of times. So, you know, is this real or is this just a vision that I'm seeing? But then he kept following the angel and they passed the first and second guards. They came to the iron gate leading to the city. And I'm sure this was a major, huge obstacle. That iron gate. And it opened, it opened for them by itself and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. Now, wonder if Peter said, no, I mean, this is, this is just craziness. I'm not putting on my coat and, and my clothes and my sandals. I'm not going to do it. It's just unreasonable. No, I'm not going to follow you. I have no idea where you're going to take me. But there again, when you choose an attitude of trust and love and obedience. You might not have all your questions answered, but you're willing to put on that full armor of God. You're willing to put on Jesus, knowing that Jesus will never lead you down the wrong path. Then Peter came to himself. I mean, when the angel left, then it's like maybe, you know, Peter just kind of stood in the moment and realized what all just transpired here. And he said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. See, Peter knew. He knew that the Jews were anticipating that public trial and probably, you know, the sword killing them. And when this had dawned, when this had dawned on him, when the reality was settling, and, you know, like, where do I go from here? He went, of course he did. He went to, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark where he knew that many people had gathered and where they were, they were praying earnestly, constantly, trusting God's will for Peter's life. But you have to really appreciate, the, love the next couple of verses because this is so like us. This is just so normal. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door and when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without even opening the door and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. That's just so real, isn't it? I mean, that's probably what you and I would do. We're so thrilled that... And it, it's, it's almost so unbelievable. Like, how could Peter get out? And sometimes we just underestimate what God can do and the power of his will. And if, it's his, if it is his will, there is nothing impossible. And of course, we love it when he does the impossible and makes it turn, makes everything turn out the way we want it. But 
Can we trust? Can we grow in God's word? Can we grow from these lessons? Can, can we see a little progress that we are starting to trust him even when things don't go the way we want them to go? That, that, are, that we're willing to see the vision of his glory and his majesty and his power and his sovereignty and who he is. And we put on that full armor of God And that, that our attitude can be of such that when it's, when it's a yes answer, yes, of course we rejoice. But like Paul, when the answer is no or wait, can we really grow to the point to where Paul was when he could say rejoice in all things? And he repeats it again. I say, rejoice. And I think, think in this, you're watching the real, the real emotions come out. And we have emotions and, and we can't deny them. But again, I have to remind you and me that sometimes emotions can get the better of us. In fact, they can even get bigger than our faith. And that's when we start to see ourselves crumble and panic and fear and doubt. In this chapter 12, if we're seeing anything in Peter's life, we're showing, he's showing and demonstrating how our lives can be changed and maybe, maybe we were once worry wards. Maybe for a long time, we just, oh goodness, God's job was to make everything just comfortable and happy. And that's what is, he just, I love him and I've gone to the cross and now he's going to make my life easy. And well, it doesn't work that way. And that's why the New Testament and why that's why Acts in particular is in here. Our salvation is glorious and we can stand on the rock of our salvation. And no one can strip it of us. But when the waves of life want to push us over, we have to choose our attitude. We've got to choose to trust. We've got to choose to earnestly, constantly stay in prayer and connection with him. But Peter, Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Of course we are. Sometimes God does things that is so immeasurably more than what we could ever imagine or think, you know. Or it's so beyond our human comprehension. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. And he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Oh, wouldn't that have been a story to hear? And then he said, tell James and the brothers about this. And when I first read it, I first thought, oh dear, he doesn't know. But yet I thought, oh, of course he knows. And then I reread it and looked at it again. He's talking about Jesus' brother, James. Not 
John's brother, James. This James is the head of the Jerusalem church. And so Peter says, tell James and the brothers in Jerusalem, tell them about this. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And after Herod had a thorough search made of him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Oh, he's just heartless. This man is heartless. All he cares about is himself. But I'll tell you, God is going to show us if it doesn't happen as dramatic as this, there will be a day when he says, you had your chance. You had your choices. It was right there before you. And you decided to still wallow in your own self and not take and grab and cling to what is being offered to you to change your life. This is such a contrast. I mean, I, I took a lot of time explaining to you the change in Peter, what the Holy Spirit has done. And as, as we read last week, there's evidence when the Holy Spirit is, ta- when his grace is, is controlling you, when you're listening to the Holy Spirit's voice instead of your own, you are changing. And so today's lesson I mean, from when Peter stayed in the house of Simon the Tanner. That's mind-boggling. When he went to the home of Cornelius, that's mind-boggling. When he keeps his wits under control, instead of cutting off someone's ear, instead he precisely explains and convinces them And then he sleeps the night before. He's probably going to be executed because he has trusted in the one who saved him. And his attitude, he chose the attitude of transforming his mind to God's will instead of his own. He chose to put on the full armor of God, to be obedient, to listen, to follow. Okay, now, in contrast, then King Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. I mean, they they wanted... They wanted to be able to talk face-to-face with Herod. They had, they had a necessity. They had a need that was, was not so far out there. It was very reasonable. They even secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king. They ask for peace because right now they're not at peace. Why? Because they are dependent on the king's country for their food supply. 
these, this group of people are responsible for the whole food supply of Tyre and Sidon. And they, they are asking that the king comply to this necessity. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. Oh, he loves this. He loves the fact that these two towns are so dependent on his permission. Oh, he loved this power. I see it as graceless, merciless, cruel, selfish, arrogant, totally missing the abundant life that Jesus came to give. And he thinks just because he has everything this world has to offer, he's got it all, but he is missing the main ingredient. And because self is so on the throne, and the people know that this is what he loves, and they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Oh, I bet if we pictured this scene, it is his egotistical face. And oh, by the way, ego means easing God out. But he's, he's sitting there with all of his fanfare and all of the pomp and circumstance, and he knows he's got them in the palm of his hand. And, and the people are shouting, oh, he's not just a man, he's a God. Look at verse 23. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, the angel of the Lord struck him, struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, I know that that's a little gruesome and a little gory. But you talk about a spiritual problem. You talk about, if this doesn't demonstrate, because I'm thinking, you know, why didn't he just die of something else? But why does, why does the Lord immediately strike him with worms, which are on the inside? And I'm thinking, you know, it just showed his spiritual corruptness. And where's our spirit? Spiritual, where's our real spiritual life within us? This man was corrupt from the inside out, so I would say it is par for the Lord to strike him with worms, to eat him from the inside out. Tell you, that, that whole thing about praise. Remember, I mean, we saw how how when when Cornelius when they when he fell at Peter's feet and and worshipped him, Peter said, "Oh, stand up! I'm just a man like you." And and we went to Revelation and when John when the message was so wonderful, he too he fell at the feet and worshipped the angel, and the angel said, "Stand up." 
There is only one person that deserves praise. I know we can encourage one another, and, and that is all well and good, but when it comes to praise and worship, there is only one who deserves it. And he loves it. He loves it when his, when his people, when his children praise him. Do you know that when you praise God, when you praise God instead of yourself, because see, that's, it's either one or the other. Do you know that you're either praising God for who he is in your life or you're praising yourself for who you are in your life? But when you praise God instead of yourself, do you know what happens? Worry dissipates. Because your eyes are on him and, and who he is instead of your own self. Because you can only, you are so limited. Instead, your eyes are on one who is limitless. Who has got a perfect will, a plan, a perfect timetable. Who loves us like no other. When we praise him and our eyes are fixed on him, it dissipates worry it eases sadness and loneliness and it magnifies his goodness. And, and another thing about praise, I think too, we've been programmed to think that praise comes at a certain time in a church service. But you can praise God through any means. I wrote down, I wrote down, because I want to remember this. I want to remember that I can praise God anytime, anywhere. Oh, sure, it couldn't, it can be through music. It can be when we're in our car and we're just wailing away from a good Christian radio station and we're singing. But praise, praise can just be talking to him. And I even thought from this lesson, what, what would give him the greatest praise is when I change my attitude. When I put on the full armor of God. When I put on the full armor, when I put Jesus on and I'm listening to his spirit that is our greatest praise, when he can see and hear us doing what he has instructed us. When we're following his word, when we desire to know him more, and he sees us give him the time and the energy and the discipline, when he sees that we are learning how to put him first, that's praise. He loves that. Just remember, praise can be anywhere, anytime, if it comes from your heart. When you are praising your God, your Savior, your Lord, your King from the depths of your heart, He loves it. Just remember, he loves our praise. 
And sometimes our loudest praise is when our lips are silent. But our attitude is right. That had been quite a scene. But the very next verse shows, okay, who is really in charge? Who is really in control of all things? Look at verse 24. In the midst of all this, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, remember last week we learned that Barnabas went and got Saul. Saul is now coming into the picture again. And when, when, when Barnabas and Saul took that offering that the people gave from the depths of their heart to help the needs during the famine, and, and they brought it to Jerusalem, because they trusted these two men. And they wanted to give to their God in this way. So when Barnabas and Saul finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem. That's where they brought the gift. And they returned from Jerusalem taking with them John, also called Mark. And so they finished one mission. But next week we watch how they now are starting another mission. Now, it's always so wonderful when you finish a mission and you complete it and but you know what? There's always another one. And why? Why? Why is there always another mission as long as we live on this earth? People need the Lord. Father, again, we thank you for the truth of this lesson. And again, how it penetrates right into our heart and really exposes ourselves. Father, we pray that we do wake up and be all you want us to be. Father, may we go through this lesson in case we've fallen into a pit of despair or defeat or we're just down or we're lonely and discouraged. Father, may we take a look at these, these stories are truth and they were told for each and every one of us for a specific reason so that we will sit up and take notice because if it can happen to these men, these people, the same Holy Spirit is working in us and can change us if we are willing, if we have a desire to be changed, to become Christ-like and be all that you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.